Hello. Hi. <laughs> I'm James. I'm talking to uh, Matthew Reed here. Matthew is a, uh, a spiritual mentor of mine, a uh, powerful monk, uh, and uh, an aligned dude. Uh, I'll let him introduce himself, though. Uh, so go ahead, Matthew. Yeah, um, well, I guess monasticism is the best place to start if uh, an introduction is necessary. Um, I'd say the, my monastic journey began as a child, uh, maybe about seven or eight. I was with my mother at church uh, and my father, or maybe my whole family, if I'm remembering correctly. But um, I had met these uh, Franciscan monks, and something inside of my soul uh, really was excited about that. And um, I expressed to my mother that I wanted to meet those guys, now as best as a seven or eight-year-old could. And... Eventually, I, I did get the opportunity to meet them, and rightfully so. They treated me like a child, and something inside of me was like, but I understand you guys just didn't have the language to, to do so. Um, so life kind of takes us all on, you know, the path it's supposed to. And as I got older, I'd realized that for these thoughts that I had and these feelings that I'd had, um, this thing called monasticism did exist. Yeah. So... Back in 2012, uh, I had gotten a scholarship through the International Thomas Merton Society to go to a three-day conference they were having. And while I was there, I'd met the man that would become sort of, in a way, my spiritual mentor as, as well, one of them. Uh, and he was a, a Trappist monk and had sort of raised me through, through that uh, understanding of how they kind of go about doing things and that really kind of pushed me along uh, with a lot of things that were loose in my life I sort of call it running through the cheese grater where it's like this intense process where everything that doesn't help serve that process um, kind of gets shredded away which is terrifying but it's incredibly important uh, so I guess throughout the years I've, I've had the opportunity to study with um, monks from many walks of life, uh, Hindu monks, Buddhist monks, stayed on uh, Islamic communes, so forth and so on. And I keep coming back to this just like simplicity of what monasticism is. But for me, it's kind of been in line with, with the Trappists. Uh, so it was 2013, sorry, that I had, I had received that scholarship. Uh, then 2017 and 2018 subsequently had uh, published two books, um, gone on speaking tours about all of these uh, things, mostly meditation and simplicity. Uh, and then 2018 and just now 2019 um, had received a Shannon Fellowship Scholar uh, scholarship working through uh, the Trappist Monastery on a kind of bigger publication now. So uh, that brings us to date. There's so many things in between, but I guess if I were to pick highlights, you know, that's kind of kind of where we're at. Yeah, thank you. So can you touch on the Trappists, your specific um, kind of group here? Um, touch on their, you know, maybe that process, um, their approach and or beliefs. Yeah, um, without going too far, I guess, like just to stay on the surface. So, um, so Trappist monks, 
they are, they live cloistered lives. They're a contemplative order, uh, Catholic order. And uh, so the foundation of uh, their kind of day to day, now I'm not doing it justice by briefly explaining it like this, but um, is this kind of external silence for this kind of internal work. And uh, so there's really only two contemplative orders um, in Catholicism and they're one of them and they are Benedictine. So they, they follow the rule of St. Benedict and their day-to-day -day life is just solely focused on prayer. And to see that is this just heart-melting experience. Uh, these people have given their life to prayer. They see this just utmost importance in this. And the thing that I've struggled with is that balance um, existing in the world, but with that deep longing for that contemplative life. And so kind of working out those kinks, but uh, for anybody interested in that, I mean, you could look up a Trappist monastery in the United States and Canada, I mean, across the world, and you can go on a retreat there. And again, for the soul experience of silence is very profound, but also just to, to see people that are so dedicated to their, you know, union with God, this focus on eternal life. It's, it's heart melting to say the least. Just this complete surrender. Yeah, essentially so. Um, and everything in, in the rule of St. Benedict kind of focuses on, on this. Uh, poverty, stability, obedience, chastity, and really just kind of, yeah, learning how to, to let go of self-will because that kind of gets in the way of, of so many things. Uh, and in their path is renouncing the world. Um, but you say now, how can, I know this is a bit of a tangent from maybe what we were thinking about, but you look at our lives in the world, right? And you say, now, how can we renounce the world in our own way? Um, now, I'm speaking from, uh, from America, you are too, and our culture teaches us something so, so different. Um, it teaches us that you know, we need certain things to be happy. We have these certain standards that are essential for life. And, but you look in comparison now. Uh, so the vow of poverty for, I will again speak specifically to Trappists, but um, other obviously orders, uh, poverty is, is a big thing. But now that doesn't just come from renouncing physical things, but uh, it extends beyond that to poverty in your decisions for food, uh, you know, your spending habits, uh, poverty and work, um, all of these things, which kind of then goes in line with this uh, virtue of humility. You say, well, to seek to put yourself last so that God may place you where he wants you, you know, but always go to put yourself last. And so we look at this vow of poverty and say, do I need you know, the things that I'm told that I need? Or can I live in a way that is simple, um, like those that do not have these things? So that uh, the, the phrase I think is to live simply that others may simply live. And anything not in line with that, then, you know, you are kind of going against this idea of, 
of self-poverty. Now, it doesn't mean you have to empty your bank account and, um, you know, take cold showers and, you know, not eat food. That's for some people, not for everybody, but definitely to be more aware of what we do and, and say, is this necessary? Um, do I need to buy a new pair of shoes because I bought an orange shirt and I want my shoes to match my shirt? Or, you know, maybe I should be happy with the one pair of shoes that I have. And uh, if I really feel inclined to buy new shoes, maybe I'll buy new shoes and donate them or, or donate my old ones. And you're forced to kind of see things in a more practical and functional sense. Um, and the more that you do that, the more that you understand kind of how uh, the way that things present themselves. Uh, so if I only, we'll, we'll talk about shoes again. So if I only have one pair of shoes, for instance, and I don't, I've got uh, a few pairs of shoes. God forgive me. but Luxurious. Uh, <laughs> I know. Um, but the, the less that you have, um, the more that you can take care of the things that you do have and the more you really appreciate them. Uh, so, you know, I'm not going to let my shoes just sit in the closet gathering dust, but you know, I wear them every day and I'm so grateful for them because I know what life would be like without them. And, uh, you appreciate what you have, but you also develop that natural relationship of, you know, one day these shoes are going to be worn down and, and they won't be here anymore. So I'll appreciate them while I have them. And, um, just like a healthy relationship with things. So not that you don't uh, need things, but not to let your relationship get out of control. That, a more intentional relationship. Yeah, certainly. To kind of a, a default uh, consumerist um, collection of stuff. Yeah, basically so. Um, so before I'd mentioned having this research grant and, um, the publication I've been working on is kind of how can I blend those monastic values? Now, not to water down monastic life, but maybe not see them as so separate from, from life now. It seems like an extreme way of living, but... Certainly from the outside, it seems untenable, right? Yeah, but, but perhaps that's because, as Father Cummings says... Uh, maybe it's because the rest of the world is just so off center. And so maybe applying these values to day to day life. Now it's, it's radically, radically different, but um, maybe that will kind of recenter things and who knows, you know? So that's a, that's a great segue. So you're working on this book now. And, uh, yeah. And that's, and, and the thesis is, is kind of how do we maybe meet in the middle isn't the term but how do we bring, you know, daily life towards the, that monastic life and perhaps even bring monastic life towards daily life? Maybe more the latter than, than otherwise. Yeah. Uh, how can we, yeah, it's basically the application of monastic values to modern society. Okay. Um, let's dive in maybe. Uh, here's my broad question. How does one apply monastic values to modern life? Oh boy. <laughs> um, you know, so it, it requires, it does require a, a radical change 
Um, I think maybe, uh, well, it's a nice transition. Um, talking about meditation is a good place to start because it's something that gets, I think, thrown around a lot. And there's so many different things that people will tell you about it and different things to do and, and um, things to sign up for and, and get involved in. And I'm not here to speak to the value of any of that. Uh, but perhaps to look at it in the simplest form possible, the thing that requires nothing but time, um, and just the idea of sitting quietly in the morning for 10 minutes and quietly in the evening for 10 minutes. Um, and now what that looks like for other people, maybe it's five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening, who knows, but it's this very real tangible process that we can apply to our lives. Now it's almost as important as eating or sleeping and, but it doesn't get the priority of it. And being able to do that, now you've then created a discipline, which is important for these other, you know, monastic values, but maybe we'll save that for another time. But just the idea of starting this discipline, um, making a spiritual practice a priority now over other things, because let's say you don't have all the time in the world, then you have to spend, um, I'm going to say, let's do 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening. That's 20 minutes maybe that you decide not to watch TV or 20 minutes maybe that you decide not to play games on the phone or um, 20 minutes that you are removing from something else. So you've already now started to prioritize this thing, um, which is important because the process is not an easy one. So let's say, you know, I wake up in the morning and I set the timer and I sit there or lay there. Uh, if you lay there, definitely set a timer because you might fall asleep. And the idea in the beginning now is, is to let all of these thoughts be jumbled around and, um, and just kind of live in the chaos of it. And, and they'll sort themselves out eventually. Uh, but starting this habit, starting this routine is, is very important foundational element because um, as we understand stillness and, and moving slower and, um, and things like that, it becomes this natural development. So you'll be sitting there one day and all these thoughts and you'll be thinking about this, that, and the other thing. And all of a sudden you'll get this glimpse of just like, you'll hear what silence sounds like. And it'll only be there for half a second. You'll be like, oh my goodness, you know? And so then every time you sit, you try and listen for that silence and it becomes longer and longer and longer. And then the more stillness that's created, um, when something enters that stillness, it becomes very clear what it is. Uh, and so these are often things that are weird things, you know, that we've held on to from the day or from the past or um, different things. And as you're able to kind of understand them and see them more fully, because now they're surrounded by stillness, they're not just jumbled in this mess, you can kind of follow it. And uh, let's say I'm mad about something that happened during the day and it comes into this stillness now that has, has been created within, I can look at it and say, well, what was I mad about? You know, and you follow it back to its origin and the origin always we find, you know, here's the big 
surprise is the origin always comes back to ourselves. The things that, um, that bother us, it's, you know, it bothered me. So it came from me, uh, which makes me the problem, um, which is very difficult to hear. Uh, you don't want to be the problem. No, you know, you don't. You don't want to realize that you're causing your own misery. Um, and it's in any situation, which is, again, hard because some people are, go through some real, like, you know, wild things. And they say, well, how do, you know, how can I say that it's me? And um, maybe we'll take care of the big, the grand picture. Are you sitting down, James? I am. Uh, okay, good. So what's the meaning of life? You know, the meaning of life is to be honest, loving, and sincere uh, 100% of the time and to live selflessly. Uh, so that's like the purpose of it. Everything else is guiding that's us. That's it? Either. We know it or not. Uh, go on. Oh, saying that, that, that's it? Uh, Meaning yeah, what? That, that's it. Sealed. Um, Sealed and delivered. <laughs> so, so now to go back to where we were before is that um, – Knowing that now is that when I start seeing that I'm, I'm the root of, of these things, I'm the root of my emotions, having this meditative practice helps me to realize that. So then when these emotions start to rise, I understand that I'm not these emotions um, because stillness exists without them. This emptiness exists without them. So when I feel angry, I've already got the tool of sitting still and, and examining these things. So I can then see this anger and say, boy, hang on a second. You know, why am I angry? I'm angry because I'm inconvenienced. I'm angry because my pride is offended. I'm angry because some, some view is, is being challenged, something that I think is important. Um, and is it really that serious? You know, oftentimes it's hard to realize that it's not that serious. Uh, but and it's not about uh, yeah, go on. denying emotion or avoiding it or denouncing it in any way, right? It's, it's, uh, it's an embrace. It's, a, it's an intentional relationship with them, just like those intentional relationships with your stuff. Yeah. Yes, and yes, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, but then like your stuff, you know, maybe sometimes realizing that you don't need it. <laughs> and so, you know, you've got to run through the cheese grater and let it go. Um, Cause you know, sometimes we have things we don't need and, and maybe, um, and maybe a lot of these emotional things uh, are unnecessary. Um, because the big, the other big surprise, you know, I hope you're still sitting is, is one day you're going to die and one day I'm going to die. And one day, you know, everybody's going to die. And so let's say that uh, we're driving, right? Uh, not in the same car. I'm, I'm driving behind you. Okay. And you're going way too slow for me. So as soon as I get the chance, you know, I'm going to peel around you and then kind of hit my brakes gently to kind of wake you up. And then, scream out my window that I don't like you and then I'm going to drive away real fast. Um, so classic Matthew Reed stuff. Classic. Yeah. You know, well, you haven't driven with me, so, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I'm sorry. I, I lost my thought there. So, yeah. So 
because all of life now is moving us towards being honest, loving, and sincere, um, you being the one that this happened to, you have this opportunity now. In this opportunity, you can go one of two ways. You can either go back to this meditative, reflective process and say, okay, I understand what anger is like. I understand what being impatient is like. And I know that I don't enjoy the feeling of either. So I'm understanding what's happening. Um, I know that I'm guilty of anger and I know I'm, I'm guilty of impatience. And, you know, maybe the best thing I can do for that person is to not be angry with them, but instead kind of just maybe even pray for them and then say, you know, boy, I hope they get where they're going safely. And I hope whatever they're going through doesn't trouble them for too long because it's got to be unpleasant. Um, and, you know, you pray that maybe they have a good day and, and things like that. Um, now, the other way to look at it is that, you know, you just get so ticked off by me and, and it really messes you up. And eventually at one point in your day, you know, you're going to have to stop and say, okay, why am I so mad? You know, is it because of that guy? My goodness, you know, I, I can't believe that that's what threw off my whole day. Uh, how silly. So either way, you're kind of forced to reflect in on this. Um, and so in another way, the gentleman that cut you off, um, you know, gave you such a gift. He gave you such an opportunity to practice patience and forgiveness and understanding. Um, so what a gift. <laughs> Generous. So, yeah. So, so you start to then see life as, as this kind of ongoing process to bring us to, um, to these things. So I mentioned death before because, um, in understanding these emotional responses to things, we have to understand that, um, that everybody's going to die. So why would I want to be honest, loving, and sincere? Because in every relationship that we have, even if it's like a one-time interaction, um, we don't want to take for granted that there'll be another moment like that. Uh, so it's easy to get carried away. Um, and now we could talk about it in both ways because there's always the anger piece. Um, you know, oh, I'll be angry with so-and-so today. And, you know, maybe one day I'll forgive them. But there might not be one day from now. You know, why we, we've already taken it for granted. Uh, what were you saying? I said, why wait? Yeah, why wait? You know, we've got to make right with people as, as soon as possible. Um, and so uh, the other side of it is we meet people, um, you know, let's say, uh, who knows? You know, I'm, I'm at a party and uh, this attractive person walks in. And all of a sudden, you know, I don't care about anybody else but that person. And because I've got this hidden agenda, be it lust or pride, because I want them to like me. And so I immediately, you know, only talk about these certain things about myself because I'm trying to impress them because I've made this long term agenda of what's going to happen in the future. And I'm taking that moment for granted. You know, the future might not happen. And so anything that gets in the way of our interactions are products of these emotional things, pride, lust, arrogance, so forth and so on. Um, and so we take away from the purity that is two people together or a group of people together. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of that extension of, of honest, loving and sincerity. Yeah, that, that honesty and that speaking to a person in the present is something that I've definitely um, thought on. And I find that often 
like you just mentioned, we're, we're often uh, in interacting with others, uh, communicating with either a past or future version of that person, um, not with who's standing in front of us. Um, whether that's this, uh, you know, like you said, this plan that you've made for, oh, you know, if, if I say these certain things and, and then, uh, you know, this, this girl will, will like me or will go home or, or, or will, will, will go out or, or something like that. Or, or even maybe more often when you're speaking with someone and you're, you're speaking to a past version of them, maybe the last version you met of them, um, or even just a, an incorrect model of them that you're holding in your head, um, that kind of, um, prevents real immediate in the moment communication with a person, you know, honestly. Yeah. And, um, especially with, with those past ones, I mean, that's a lot of times where, um, we look at those emotional responses and, you know, you're holding somebody to something that they had done at a point in time, uh, something often that again we're guilty of too you know how could they do that to me but if we kind of exemplify these qualities as well um it's hard to to really consider being mad about it uh, and we look at the simplicity of again coming from a catholic background i look at the simplicity of of christ's message um, in the instance of, you know, we have to forgive as we hope to be forgiven. Uh, we've done wrongs in our lives, or I mean, I can't speak for you. I can speak for me, um, every day, you know, and, and to say, how can I, uh, I think the phrase is, how can I nurse a grudge if I hope that, that God would forgive me and, and God has forgiven me. And so, I am so obligated to, to share that forgiveness with other folks. I believe there's that a parable. I'm not going to get it totally correct here, but um, this gentleman forgives another man of his debts. Uh, he owes. Um, so I think it's like the, the master of whatever, you know, he calls this guy in, into the room and says, you know, you owe me this money. Um, what's going on? When am I going to get the money back? And the man says, well, you know, I, I don't have the money. I'm sorry. You know, I'll get it to as soon as I can. I, I just don't have it. And the man says, well, you know what? You know, I forgive you the debt. Uh, debts are cleared. You know, go off on, on your merry way. So now that gentleman is, is set off free. And in his not so distant future, he realizes that somebody owes him money. And he calls the man to court, you know, and, and demands his money and says, you know, I will persecute you in, until I'm paid in full for everything that you owe me. So the other man, the master of everything, he hears this and he calls the other guy in and says, you know, how could you do that? You know, when you came to me with, with such humility, uh, telling me you couldn't pay a debt, and yet you hold somebody to a standard that you yourself hoped to be forgiven of. Um, and so in doing so, you know, we are, we have to forgive people if we want to be forgiven and, and forgive ourselves. Uh, so yeah, super, super important. Um, 
yeah, setting those standards for ourselves and, and others. And ideally that, that kind of standard setting is contagious, you know, the forgiving and forgiveness is contagious. Um, yeah, but I mean, that'd be then, uh, an extension of, of the other piece um, where like if we see qualities in other people that are unpleasant, we have to realize that it's not a reason for us to point a finger at them. And it's not a reason for us to say, you know, I can't stand so-and-so he's this way or that way, or, you know, uh, she's so full of herself or this, that, and the other thing. But when it really comes down to it, you know, we are just as guilty. It might not present itself um, the same, but you know, what is the product of war? You know, typically anger, greed, jealousy, um, and pride. And so it's easy for me to turn on the news and say, um, you know, boy, you know, everybody's doing it wrong. These things are, are all messed up. The world's in such a crazy place, but we are, you know, mirrors of that though. I am just as guilty of anger. I'm just as guilty of greed and I'm just as guilty of pride. So in a way I'm my own little war as well. Uh, so until I can work those things without like through, through myself, uh, I'm in no place to say anything about anybody. Uh, and that again is where do I begin to do that is the simplicity of having just a daily meditative practice, uh, and addressing those things in me because Lord knows I, you know, I, don't want them to be a part of the world. So I got to work through them on, on an individual level uh, as swiftly as possible. <laughs> uh, hopefully. Yeah. You only have direct control over your contribution to the, uh, the pot of, of anger and greed. Uh, yeah, for sure. And so I don't want to add anything to it if possible. Uh, you look at um, you look at that and and realize how important our decisions are. Uh, Proverbs sixteen nine tells us that um, in a heart a man or woman, uh, but I'll just say it as I know it: in his heart a man uh, plans his course, but it's the Lord that determines the steps. And there's so much in life that we think that we can control, but we can't. The day-to-day -day things, you know, they happen. And we just need to learn to accept that. Uh, meditation is helpful in that, again, in just kind of learning to accept things as they happen and knowing that all that we can really control is that moment-to-moment -moment ability to be honest, loving, and sincere. And in doing so, opening our hearts to this bigger love, uh, the more that we empty out our selfishness, the more emptiness that there is inside of us, and the more emptiness that's there, the more that love can be there, and the more that understanding can be there, and the more that we have this ability to see people as ourselves or see people as folks that we love, um, and using those examples of love in our life to really kind of broaden that ability to love. Um, I imagine that we have these relationships. Uh, be it a mother to a child or a child to a parent or a friend or uh, spouse or otherwise 
not just so it stays there, but so that we know that we are capable of it. Um, I mean, I look at my own mother, right? She's a saint and um, she has this motherly love that is forgiving and understanding and, and firm, but also compassionate and just like this well-rounded, beautiful thing. And I've experienced that from her. And just as an example, like we each have these things in us that to show us that we're capable of it. So I know my mother is capable of forgiving and loving and, and all of these things. And so why not generalize that? Why not generalize that to everybody to see everybody as these intimate experiences in our lives? Because, you know, we're all on earth together. We might as well get along. <laughs> it sounds more fun. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think it, I think it could be. So maybe come in full circle. Then uh, we look at, we look at the Trappist. So uh, in the, in the speaking things I've, I've done over the years, uh, I've acquired a nickname and uh, I believe in Spanish it's Agua Fiesta. Uh, <laughs> in English, it's, it's a party pooper. And I'm okay with that because I think we, because of, of the way that culture kind of sets this standard it's okay, it becomes okay to, to live in a certain way. Uh, I want to choose my words very carefully here. <laughs> um, Take your time. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, we choose to live in a certain way, possibly because it's all that we know, um, because of how culture has set these standards um, or for other reasons, I can't say. What I can say with certainty is that there is another way. I bring this up because you said it sounds like fun and it does, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of hard work uh, to be done. So we use the analogy of, of the gardening, of the garden of the heart, garden within you. Um, and that garden, is full of weeds that are selfish and uh, the weeds of selfish qualities, um, the ones that we've spoken about already and then some. So anybody that's had any experience with gardening at all, or you can just imagine if this space is full of, of undesirable things, clearing that space is not an easy task. Um, now, by God's grace alone, is it possible to do that? And the first step is, is seeking that humility and saying, you know, I need help with this. I need help working through these things. It could be anything, you know, what's small, what seems small to me might be a huge thing for you, or um, I could be going through something where you could say that's no big deal, but um, everybody's garden is different. Everybody's got these same issues, but growing in different proportions. And uh, that toiling is, it, it has to be a regular process. It has to be it has to be a practice because if one day you just pull out a few weeds and then you don't go back to it for a week, you know, it's just going to regrow again. It's clearing that out, not just chopping it away, but uprooting these things really kind of 
working at it and, and being diligent. And that diligence has to translate to everyday life. Um, I think I'm hungry and there's a convenience store on the corner. So I'll go in and buy a bag of potato chips and wait a second, you know, I'm not really hungry. I think I'm hungry. Potato chips are probably not a great decision. Um, and it's also a waste of money, which is then against my vow of poverty. Um, and so there is a, a necessary strictness to it. Um, I'm not saying don't have fun in your life, but re-examine all of these little, all of these little things. Um, because all of those weeds roots are intertwined. And as soon as you start to pull one up, the others will naturally come with it as well. Uh, and then the idea is not to, not to plant our own seeds in there, but to just be open that through grace alone, you know, the seeds of selflessness may then kind of grow them, grow themselves, you know, um, God will plant the seeds that are necessary for us. Uh, it's not for us to make those decisions. Um, so yeah, so yeah, so fun and games, woohoo, but there's definitely that, that element of, of self-discipline. Nobody wants to talk about self-denial, but uh, it's in self-denial that selflessness is born because, you know, the two are just so naturally, uh, naturally with one another. The more that we deny ourselves, the less that the self has. Um, Discipline is freedom, as uh, Jocko Willink talks about. He's a podcaster and a, a guy. His, that's his byline. His byline is discipline is freedom, um, which is very much uh, in line um, with this. You know, it's um, if you have this intentional um, relationship with your behavior, with your emotions, with, um, with what you're doing, then that allows you to, uh, you know, to really work within those constraints, uh, in a more free way, kind of, uh, if you always follow the rules, then you can intentionally break them kind of when you want, um, uh, because otherwise you've, you've been following them. Um, that sort of thing. And there's certainly work involved, like you said, like any, any metaphor, whether it's the garden weeding or cleaning your room, um, you know, there's anyone who's ever done it knows it's, it's easier if you do it regularly. And if you get into a habit of doing it every day, it becomes not just uh, maybe more manageable, but also, um, you know, enjoyable. You know, maybe maybe fun is overloaded in our culture, um, and enjoyable perhaps is a little bit more rich of a descriptor. Um, and, yeah, that's that's very well put. I like that, uh, <laughs> and I, I don't disagree. That's uh, maybe fun is you know there's this big em emphasis on it. Um, yeah, fun seems, it seems unintentional. It seems, uh, you know, like an escape from responsibility. May and, I kind of expand on, on that a little bit? Please. Because um, you bring up a great point, is that 
um, it is this kind of pleasure seeking uh, idea, you know, and I'm just as guilty of it too. So um, maybe to a different scale, but just as guilty of, of this kind of uh, life. And the simpler that we can become, you know, the more that we can appreciate what we have and the more that we can appreciate the things that are around us and the more gratitude within, um, the more that these mundane, not mundane, but you know, the more that these day-to-day -day things are, are fun, you know, anybody that's fasted, for instance, right. Uh, for however long, you know, it doesn't, you don't need to fast for 40 days and 40 nights to understand this. Um, but anybody that's given like this intentional fast, uh, when you eat again, I mean, boy, you know, is food amazing. But prior to that, how many meals have I taken for granted and just kind of, you know, shoveled into my mouth without thinking about what I'm eating? But when I'm really appreciating food after not eating, I mean, you taste everything and you say, oh my goodness, you know, this, this piece of lettuce is fantastic. And this water, oh, you know, amazing. The best thing like ever, you know, and um, I think the generally speaking, you know, the, the more that we revert back to simplicity as just our baseline, um, the more that we, we do enjoy life more uh, because I'm not just driving to work, you know, I am, you know, so blessed to have a job and, and to be able to afford a motor vehicle and have the ability physically uh, and mentally to drive a car and uh, to pay my electric bill because I live in a country with electricity and clean water. And uh, my goodness, you know, how amazing is this? And the more that we come back to that, the easier it becomes to kind of really see these blessings. And then, I mean, everything is fun. Even, you know, like a real good bowel movement is, is amazing uh, because we've been blessed with the ability to that. Um, and as you said, when we first started, you know, you got good sleep tonight. And how incredible is that? Because you know what unpleasant sleep is. And so you've already started this, your day off on this place of gratitude and, and uh, seeing that in the small things in our lives, super important. And then everything is fun, I guess, or can be. And there's sort of this dilution of, of uh, experience. Uh, and and like a you know being being submerged in the constant entertainment constant gratification constant um you know circus of at least you know american life um can be desensitizing and um the response often is more 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 um to seek that same thrill that may have been there in the beginning um, when uh, the not easier necessarily route, but more effective um, and probably cheaper route <laughs> is to pair away, is to shave extra off uh, and, and kind of rein that in to then allow for you know like like you said like really um appreciating what you've got like how many meals are you eating with your phone in front of you 
you know, flipping through something instead of actually tasting the food? How many, uh, how many times do you, you know, walk down the street past that songbird and not even register it because you're, you're just in your head and you're walking fast and you want to get wherever you're going. And, um, you know, how many, how, when's the last time you stopped and, and, and literally smelled the roses, um, as to take a, a popular, uh, um, you know, saying it's a cliche and that's the nice thing about cliches. They're, they're true. That's why they get repeated so much. <laughs> um, yeah. And pulling that, pulling that contemplative, um, reflective, uh, intentional relationship and enjoyment of experience, pretty much meditation out into your everyday life. Um, I know this is something you've spoken on and you, you talk about as well, which is, you know, as you begin to meditate, um, you know, it became, it becomes, it begins to leak into everything, right? Washing the dishes is meditation and mowing the lawn is meditation and, and, uh, taking a shower is meditation and, and all of these things. Yeah. Um, well put. And the, the sun sets every, every day. And so how many sunsets have I missed in my life? Uh, just because I'm focused on the traffic I'm in. When the sun is setting right before me, these beautiful colors. And, um, and so to, to take it back to the Trappists, um, St. Paul talks to us about ceaseless prayer. And it is that, um, it is finding that, prayer and everything, but we have to find meditation in it first. So um, just to be clear about that, meditation is not the end all be all. Uh, Prayer is this state of prayer. Um, But St. Paul talks about this ceaseless prayer and um, the, the Trappist life is set up to help the monk achieve that. Uh, You have the stability of the monastery and you have the, sort of this, these toils that everybody goes through um, with the vows and, and whatnot, but a piece of it within the silence is also um, a, a labor. And each Trappist monastery kind of has a different, um, a different manual labor, uh, usually making a product that helps to sustain the monastery, uh, be it making jam, uh, making honey, uh, growing mushrooms, or you know, other things like that, making bread. Um, and it's not just to have that self-sustaining uh, process, but also to find to find God in everything, to find that prayer, that state of prayer in making the bread. Um, and so that kind of translates even further too. Is as far as seeing it as an obligation is, if I'm making this bread and somebody's going to eat it, you know, I want to really kind of put my soul into this and like really put love into this. And, um, and so having, as we were speaking before, like eating a meal and like really enjoying it, like put the phone down, turn the TV off, you know, turn people away, you know, sit by yourself and really enjoy it. Um, yes, there's a benefit to eating with people, but you know, for the sake of this really enjoy a meal and maybe Next time, you know, say, boy, I'd I'd like to try and make a meal for myself and look at the process of that as as a prayer too. And then the whole thing becomes 
this beautiful cycle because I'm so blessed to have a body and I'm so blessed um, to have the ability to nourish it. So I only want to put the best things in it. I don't want to eat junk. So let me really focus on making the healthiest meal I can make and making that healthy meal in the most loving way, intentionally making this beautiful thing and then really enjoy it and then find like a place of peace and, and calm afterwards so I can really digest it, you know, that, so then I can serve others with, with that love that is now within me. Um, so yeah, a ceaseless meditation, a ceaseless prayer, um, super important uh, so that we don't take for granted the sunset every day. Uh, if we have the ability to see it, we should and, and just really, you know, thank God for another day on planet Earth. Mm. Did I lose you? Are you, are you sleeping? No, I was, I was letting that one sit. Oh, cool. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, it really, um, that kind of ceremonialization of, um, of what, you know, what could be seen as mundane or, or, you know, throwaway tasks becomes, um, it begins to fill the space of life with such richness that, um, you know, your, your experience becomes so, um, you know, freaking great. <laughs> um as a result and and you know there's there's the uh the, the classic trope of, of saying like oh this you know this meal was made with love or or this you know these homemade brownies are made with love and 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 everyone kind of chuckles but also kind of believes it uh and even the most um you know even 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 the least meditative or or spiritual person um I feel some, sometimes you hear them say like, yeah, you can, you can taste the love in there, you know? Uh, and it, it certainly, um, it certainly shows through and, 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 and care taken, um, you know, and, and, and in so many situations, somebody taking real care is so rare that when we see it, it's, it's astounding. It's amazing. It's celebrated and, and, uh, and, 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 and any occupation and in any situation, um, if you're like really paying full attention and you're, and you're putting that care and that intention into your work, um, you, you almost, uh, you almost automatically are, are like massively successful in, in, in whatever that, that task or, or job is, uh, it seems, you know, you, you're like, how did this person shoot up the promotion ladder or how, or how did they get so good at that? Or, or, or man, they, I, they, they make it look so easy. And it's like, well, they're, they're working very hard and they're, and they're paying a lot of attention and, and they're, and they're being, um, and they're holding themselves to, to, to a very high standard, uh, and, and not expecting, uh, not expecting um, external, uh, uh, you know, assistance and/or uh, affirmation. Perhaps it seems um, a theme 
that you see across context. Yeah, now let's take that a step further and say, what if I did that with just being a human in society? So I've got to take the best care and the best focus on being a loving person, um, not just in a, in a work standpoint, but in simply going to the grocery store or, um, you know, saying hello to somebody, but like really meaning it in just like taking that care for your soul, making your soul that also, you know, in line with that priority. And then, you know, the very smallest things, you know, you run in, like you said, you know, you can tell when somebody makes uh, something delicious and made with love, but what if we make ourselves with love? You know, you don't have to, to do anything to experience that. Just simply saying hi to somebody. If it comes from this place of like, man, I really love you because you're a human as well. The person you speak to will know that. Or just being full of it, the people around you will know that. And uh, you could drastically alter people's lives, but just by being kind to them. Um, yeah, so let's take that same, that same mindset and toil within that kind of garden of our hearts. The same, the same gentleness and the same, but the same kind of directness, discipline, um, intentionality, all of these, very important. Bring that out into the world. Uh, and I think, I think that's a challenge uh, or uh, task or mission uh, um, that might be a, a beautiful send off to our conversation today. Um, for those listening, how can you inject that intentionality, that care into today? Um, we clearly have uh, lots more to talk about uh, and we will have many more of these conversations. Um, I'm very much excited. Um, yeah, I, I am too. Thanks for uh, taking the time to, to do this. It's been wonderful. Yeah. We will see you next time. Yeah, cool. Um, and just as maybe, uh, some a parting note. Do you have a something, maybe a little intentional thought for the day, James? What What do you think? My intentional thought for the day. I'm there. I, I'm. Uh, I'm. Um, so blessed to have started my day in this way uh, and um, and with you and taking that out into um, my interactions today and and um, and kind of spreading that magic around a little bit uh, as I try to do every day um, is uh, it's it's got it's it's certainly been uh, I'm 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 certainly been inspired even even more today. 
And I inspired by you. So uh, God bless you, brother. I love you very much. And I'll look forward to when we can chat again. Uh, I love you, brother. Uh, Take care, James.